Welcome to the First Century Church Podcast. My name is Stephen Wilhoy, and I'm the lead pastor at First Century Church, and it is an honor to have you with us today. The goal of the podcast is simple. We want you to be encouraged, challenged, and inspired to go further in your faith than ever before. If you'd like more information about the church, you can visit our website, firstcenturykc.com. And if you happen to be in the Kansas City area anytime soon, we'd love to have you join us for one of our live gatherings to connect with you in person. Again, thanks for joining us today, and we hope that you enjoy today's message. So today we're going to be in week three of our series, Legends in the Making, and we're going to be very, very, very practical today. So I'll try to be practical most of the time. This is going to be super applicable to your life. If you think back over your life, maybe you think about like your first pet that you had or your first car, your first job. You know, those were kind of transitional maybe points in your life. You know, even your first pet as a kid is sort of your first taste of responsibility. And the same thing with your job. Maybe your first job as a teenager maybe even helped you kind of shift into what you even do now. Who knows? Um, and then, you know, your, your first car is sort of your independence. I can go out on my own when I want a little bit, sort of, kind of. Uh, and so, you know, those types of firsts in your life are very important. So today we're going to look at a very important first in Paul's life. We're going to be looking through his first recorded public sermon in Acts chapter 13. And we're going to see the results of that as we uh, move through this uh, today. But again, very practical because we're going to do something today that we would hope we would do Every Sunday, but not just on Sundays, I want us to every day, let's talk about Jesus. Very practical teaching today, let's talk about Jesus. So what we're going to do is we're going to look at Paul's sermon, we're going to work through different parts of it here in Acts 13, and we're going to use it as a blueprint for us when we talk to people about Jesus. And maybe that's something that you've never done before, because it can be intimidating to start those kind of spiritual conversations with people. Maybe you don't know what to say or how to approach them or don't know how it's going to go, so you just don't even bother to do that. Uh, But we're going to hopefully look at Paul's approach. It's a four-step approach, and just see how we can apply this as we try to begin these conversations with people and talk to them about Jesus. So let's jump right into it today. Uh, The first step in this process is simply conversation. So talking about Jesus is simply a conversation. We overthink it sometimes. We make it more than it needs to be sometimes and kind of psych ourselves out. It's simply a conversation. We see it here in Acts 13. So let's jump into uh, the text here. Acts 13, we're going to start at verse number 13. And so it says, as Paul and his companions then left Paphos by ship for Pamphylia, landing at the port town of Perga, there John Mark left them and returned to Jerusalem. I was going to focus on that today, but we're going to focus on that the last week of this series. It'll come, this point will come back. So John Mark's been traveling with Paul and Barnabas. At this point, about a third of the way through their mission, he leaves them. Okay, well, that comes back at the very end too, so we'll come back to that later on. So he left them, but Paul and Barnabas traveled inland to Antioch of Pisidia, On the Sabbath, they went to the synagogue for the services. After the usual readings from the books of Moses and the prophets, those in charge of the service sent them this message. Brothers, if you have any word of encouragement for the people, come and give it. So Paul stood, lifted his hands to quiet them, and started speaking. Men of Israel, he said, and you God-fearing Gentiles, listen to me. Talking about Jesus is a conversation. 
there's three things even in this first opening part here where Paul's just barely getting started. I think if we take this approach, this conversation, it will help it get started on the right foot. So there's three things that I think we can pull from just these first three or four verses here to get started in this conversation about Jesus. The first thing that Paul does that we can do is to simply look for an opening to start this conversation. You, you notice here, they went to the synagogue. Now, we don't have the dates and the length of time that they were in this town, but it appears they'd already been in this town for some time. They didn't just enter in the first day and barge in and say, hey, we're going to take over this meeting, guys. I know this is your guys' synagogue, and we're from out of town, but we're just going to do this thing. They don't barge in. They don't interrupt. They don't force themselves. They are given an opening. So they go into the synagogue not really prepared or ready or meaning to even say or do anything. They're just there to observe and to worship. But as the tradition is, so there's the reading, a couple readings from the Old Testament or from the Hebrew Scriptures. That's all they had then. So it wasn't old. It was all they had. So after they read that, either the, the local rabbi would give a commentary or a sermon on the Scripture, or he might invite someone else to give their commentary. So after they read this, they say to Paul and Barnabas, would you guys like to say something, an encouragement to the people here? And so Paul had this opening, and he took it. He started this conversation about Jesus. So he, he after they read the scripture, uh, they just share, he just starts his sermon. And so just as Paul looked for an opening, you and I can look for an opening to start these conversations with people about Jesus. Now you might think, well, what about street evangelism, people on the, you know, just random, you know, talking to people on the, you know, sidewalk or in town or downtown. That ministry can work, and there's a place for that, but that's not normally, typically, where we're going to find ourselves. Now, if that's the ministry God calls you to, then go for that, but normally in our everyday life, we're not going to be doing that. We're going to be at work, we're going to be in our neighborhood, we're going to be at home, we're going to be around town, and we're going to have openings, if we're looking for them, to tell people about Jesus. So they're going to happen with people that you know, so look for these opportunities. Now, a couple of examples of that is if they engage you with a question related in any way to faith, jump on that. You may not know exactly all the answers to the questions they're asking you. You may not be prepared. You haven't taken notes and figured it out. But take whatever sliver of opportunity there might be that they're open to share with them the good news about Jesus. Maybe they're talking about the news or a current event, which is usually pretty bad. So that's a great way to sneak your faith in there and say, you know what, I know that things are kind of bad right now, but I'm not worried ultimately because I serve Jesus. And that, who knows where that can lead in that just that simple little sliver that you just take, it can lead to a great life change in someone's life. Even talking about your church, what's going on at, here at First Century, inviting someone to come with you, those opportunities can just lead to who knows where as we see them and take them. I think another easy opportunity, one of them's coming up in a couple months, major holidays, Christmas, Easter's coming up in like nine weeks. So find those opportunities to use those holidays where people are more open and receptive to Jesus, to tell them about Jesus, to talk about Jesus. It might be really small, but if you can see that opening, be like Paul here and take it. So we want to look for those openings. The other thing that we see here about this conversation that Paul has uh, that we can do is to know your audience. Paul starts, he addresses the audience. He said, brothers who are Jewish and God-fearing Gentiles. And so then he knows his audience, he knows where he is, and so he approaches them appropriately. He speaks their language. He makes his message relatable to them. Because what he does is he, as well, we're going to skip the, the finer points of this, but if you read it, what you'll see is he begins by giving basically a brief history of the nation of Israel to these people. And they kind of know this. They probably grew up knowing this, but he's building up to a point to get to Jesus. So he's starting where they are, where they live, their language. Now, when you go to Acts 17, which we'll get to later on this year, he's in Athens, Greece, which is like the epicenter of philosophy. 
So you'll notice when we get to Acts 17, which is one of my favorite places in all of Acts, so we're going to be there until I'm sick of it because I love it so much. There's so much there. But he has a different approach. He's not around Jewish believers. He's not around God-fearing believers. He's around pagan philosophy junkies in Athens. So he approaches them by quoting ancient philosophers to build some common ground, start this conversation on the right foot. If he were to try to mix these audiences with these messages, it wouldn't work. If he's quoting philosophy to these people in the synagogue, and be like, what is this guy talking about? It's going to go over their head. They're not going to relate to that. If he tries to, to quote Hebrew scriptures to Greek philosophy majors, you know, they're not going to get that either. It's going to not resonate with them. So he tries uh, the right approach here because he knows his audience. And if we're going to talk to people about Jesus, we have to meet them where they are. We, so, for instance, if they have no faith background at all, we can't really maybe start in Romans chapter 8 about like the deep things of God. We got to start at a very surface level, a very conversational level, and then go from there. If it's someone that we're approaching from a different faith, what we want to do is not, we'll get to this later, not get into an argument with them, uh, but we want to just, you know, kind of explain where we're coming from, maybe try to understand where they're coming from and see where that conversation goes. We want to speak their language and build those bridges to people to talk to them about Jesus. Or maybe we know this person struggles with this specific roadblock of faith, And so maybe that opening that we see and the audience that we're talking to, we're going to find a way to approach them in that direction. So Christy just this week had had a conversation just like this uh, with someone in her family. I got her permission to use her, so just don't be like, I can't believe he's using her. I asked her ahead of time. But just last week, she had a conversation with a family member, and he was coming from a very specific direction about faith. Here's my issue. Here are my questions. It was a very specific vein. It was very much, you know, like natural world scientific sort of reasoning. And so as she knows, I'm going to have this conversation with him. She, she started to approach from that direction. Like she studied and researched and had notes and everything. And the Holy Spirit's really working on him uh, to really kind of broaden his view. I'm not going to get stuck in this one lane. I'm kind of open now to what the Bible says about other things. But she knew her audience. She's coming at the direction that he's coming at to try to meet him in the middle and see where that conversation goes. And as really the, the Spirit led her last week, they had a very fruitful conversation. And so be praying for Joe, Uncle Joe, that he would commit his life to Jesus um, as the Holy Spirit works on his heart. But we, we have to meet people where they are and know our audience. Here's the last thing on this conversation, then we'll move on. Um, after we take that opening, after we know our audience, we want to be careful that we talk and not argue. Paul says what he says, he preaches his sermon, he does his teaching, and then he just leaves it alone. He's not trying to look down upon people for differing views. He's not trying to make them feel bad. He's not trying to make them feel guilty. that You don't believe. And now there are times where he might have a different approach, but because he knows his audience and he doesn't want to argue, he communicates the gospel. He doesn't argue the gospel. It's powerful. Because talking about Jesus is not trying to just prove a point or pick a fight or look down our nose at people that don't believe like we do. The gospel means good news. So sharing that in the right way makes all the difference. It's good news that we tell people. We don't argue it to people. And some people will try to suck you into an argument. That's what they want. They want to debate. They want to yell and scream. They want to fight. They want to make it personal. They want a name call. Don't take the bait. If you sense that conversation going sideways, do all you can to just politely say, maybe we'll come back to this later, but I don't want to engage this way. 
right? That's not, that's not what we're trying to do here. I'm not trying to make you feel bad. I'm not trying to make, have you make me feel bad. And you, if you know your audience, you're going to know how far you can take that, how far they can take you and, until you have to kind of change the subject or come back to a different time. And so as you sense the Holy Spirit leading you, uh, don't take the bait, but just sense what he's doing. But the, the point of that is to say that this whole thing starts as just simply a conversation. It's just me as a person, them as a person, having a conversation about Jesus. And that's really the main thing, that second part of this uh, process that we see from Paul in Acts 13, is that the key part of the conversation is to make a connection, to make a connection. So let's move on down, read some more of this. Acts 13, we'll pick it up at verse 26 in the middle of his sermon here. Paul says, brothers, you sons of Abraham and also you God-fearing Gentiles, this message of salvation has been sent to us. The people in Jerusalem and their leaders did not recognize Jesus as the one the prophets had spoken about. Instead, they condemned him, and in doing this, they fulfilled the prophets' words that are read every Sabbath. They have found no legal reason to execute him, but they asked Pilate to have him killed anyway. And when they had done all the prophecies said about him, they took him down from the cross and placed him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead." And over a period of many days, he appeared to those who had gone with him from Galilee to Jerusalem. They are now his witnesses to the people of Israel. So the connection that Paul makes is to center the conversation on Jesus. That's the connection. It's not just, and we'll look at this in, in a couple minutes, it's not just a broad conversation on morality or on broad religion, he, focuses, he, he starts off there, but then he focuses, he connects it to Jesus. It's all about Jesus. That's what this conversation is about. And it, it literally, if, if, as we, what we just read, Paul's message literally puts Jesus in the center of everything. So he says when, when people before Jesus, they were looking forward to him. They didn't know that yet, but they were, everything was pointing to him. And now on the other side of Jesus, Paul says even just a couple decades later, and now 2,000 years later, it's even more obvious, looking back, everything has been fulfilled in Jesus. So everything Old Testament pointed to him, he's the center. Everything New Testament looks back to him, fulfilling that. It's all about Jesus. The opening of Paul's message was just setting the stage to show this connection. Because he says, you know, God chose Israel as his people, and then they were in Egyptian bondage, and then they were in the wilderness, and then they conquered their own land, and then God gave them judges to rule over them, and then finally they whined long enough, and God gave them the king that they whined for, and he said, you'll regret this, and they did. And so he sets the stage saying, all of these events, all of these things, all of these people, even the law of God in the middle of this pointed toward Jesus. He is the focal point. He's the connection to everything. And he says Jesus fulfilled all of that Old Testament. The law, the prophets, all the readings, everything is about him. And Paul's not speaking out of turn here because Jesus made that very claim himself on more than one occasion. There's one time that we'll read in a second from Luke 4 where Jesus has a very similar occasion to what Paul's living right now. He walks into the synagogue. It's his day to read the scripture and then expound upon it. And so here's what he does. This is Luke chapter 4, verse 16. When Jesus came to the village of Nazareth, his boyhood home, he went as usual to the synagogue on the Sabbath and stood up to read the scriptures. The scroll of Isaiah the prophet was handed to him. He unrolled the scroll and found the place where this was written. The spirit of the Lord is upon me, for he has anointed me to bring good news to the poor. 
He sent me to proclaim that captives will be released, that the blind will see, that the oppressed will be set free, and that the time of the Lord's favor has come. He rolled up the scroll, handed it back to the attendant, and sat down. All eyes in the synagogue looked at him intently. Then he began to speak to them. The scripture you've just heard has been fulfilled this very day. So the same thing that Paul is saying 30 or so years after this moment, Jesus said it in his own life and ministry. He's claiming all of this that we're reading every Saturday in the synagogues is pointing to me. I'm fulfilling and am and will fulfill all of it. And not just this one, like this one specific thing from Isaiah 61, he says, I've come to do these things. I'm here. So what Isaiah said hundreds of years ago, it's me. But not only just that one, but Jesus says all of the scripture I'm fulfilling. In the Sermon on the Mount, Matthew 5, verse 17, he says, don't misunderstand why I have come. I did not come to abolish the law of Moses or the writings of the prophets. No, I came to accomplish their purpose. I came to fulfill what they were saying and what they were writing. So our message is that Jesus is the connection point to everything, to the universe, to all of it. It's all about Jesus. And it's easy to get sidetracked in these conversations that we have. Now, we can go on rabbit trails as long as we bring it back to the main point. What's the main point? What's the focus? What's the connection? It's Jesus. It's not this secondary thing or this other item over here. It's, it's all connected. Let's get it back to the main point, and that is Jesus. We're pointing to him, focusing on him, connecting people to him. And the main focus is that, as Jesus says and as Paul says, Jesus is God's plan A, and there is no plan B. He's it. He's the connection. And that idea leads us to the third part of this process, and that is clarity. As we talk about Jesus, we want to be very clear about Jesus. Paul does that also in Acts 13. Let's continue on in his sermon. Acts 13, uh, verse 38. Brothers, listen. We are here to proclaim that through this man, Jesus, there is forgiveness for your sins. Everyone who believes in him is made right in God's sight, something that the law of Moses could never do. Be careful. Don't let the prophet's words apply to you. For they said, look, you mockers, be amazed and die. That's weird, but that's what it says. Be amazed and die. For I am doing something in your own day, something you wouldn't believe, even if someone told you about it. So Paul connects everything to Jesus. And then Paul is very, 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 very clear about Jesus. He says here, through Jesus, there's forgiveness of sins. That's the plan A. There is no plan B. Belief in Jesus is what makes one right with God. There's no other option. Through him is forgiveness. Belief in him makes us right with God. Paul declares that Jesus is their only hope. And this is the cry of the human heart. Where can I find hope? Where can I find peace? Where can I find stability? And that's not just for us. It's for even the people in Paul's day that he's talking to. Uh, Biblical scholar N.T. Wright, in his commentary on Acts, he says this, Every Jew in the first century knew that all was not well on several levels. That Israel, though God's people, were not living in freedom, were not being much of a light to the nations, and were often finding it difficult to keep their own law. He goes on to say, all was not well. When would God's purposes finally come true? When would Israel be rescued from her continuing plight? These are the same kinds of questions that every human asks 
still today? Where is the hope? Where can my plight be made right? Where can all of the ills in the world uh, be corrected? Even if people aren't really religious, even if they aren't really talking about morality or they're not looking for, you know, a religion, they're asking these questions. These are the cries of the human heart. Everyone has worries and fears and questions and issues in their own lives. People will say, I see injustice all the time. How is that ever going to be made right? Or I've experienced injustice. How is that going to be made right? Or I see pain or I experience pain. How is that going to be made okay? Or there's such emptiness and longing in my heart. There's something missing, but it's eluding me. What is that thing? Or I'm dealing with such anxiety and hopelessness that it's just not worth it anymore. These are the questions people are asking. And to illustrate that or to, you know, point that out, deaths of despair uh, in the last 30 years have continually gone up, 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 up. Hopelessness is an all-time high. Anxiety at an all-time high. Uh, These feelings of inadequacy and and deep despair at an all-time high. And even since 2020, we all know what happened in 2020, right? Those deaths of despair have skyrocketed. So much so that the average life expectancy in our country has gone down in the last four years. People are looking for hope. They're looking for answers. And the good news is we have that answer. His name is Jesus. He's the answer. People want to know when will everything be all right? How can everything be made all right? Where can I find hope and peace? And we can point them to Jesus. But to do that, we have to be very clear in our conversations about Jesus. And that's not always easy to do. Sometimes it's easier to kind of not to muddy the waters a little bit. It's easier to like talk gray area type stuff, but clarity is so important when talking about Jesus because people have different views or opinions on him. People want to fit him into their own box of their own making, and instead he fits in his own box of his own making and no other box. And so we have to be very clear on that. And part of, Paul gets to this because part of his sermon that we just looked at, he quotes, he quoted an Old Testament prophet named Habakkuk. Habakkuk had this same question. This prophet of God is looking around his own nation, and he's saying there's violence and injustice everywhere. God, are you going to do something about that? Okay. And God says, you betcha I'm going to do something about that. And Habakkuk's like, oh, that sounds great. What are you going to do? And God says, you wouldn't believe what, I would, what I'm going to do even if I were to tell you. And he's like, I'm not sure if I like that plan. It doesn't sound as great now that you say it that way. And God's plan says, here's, here's the plan. I'm going to raise up the Babylonian empire to overtake my people to teach them a lesson. That was God's plan for Habakkuk. And he's like, whoa, whoa, whoa. And so the whole uh, book of Habakkuk is this conversation between this prophet and God about, I don't like that plan. Is there another plan? God's like, this is the plan. You know, you wanted a plan? This is my plan. And so Paul uses this quote to connect it to Jesus. Because what he says is when, when Jesus came, he wasn't what people were expecting. That's why they missed it. That's why they rejected him. They're looking for this human king with power and wealth to literally overthrow the Roman Empire, and Jesus does not fit that description. They're looking for this human leader to lead an army into battle, to, to like knock some heads, you know, and become king, and he didn't come to do that. And so he says Jesus was kind of strange and unexpected. He was not what the people were looking for. He's not what they wanted, and so they rejected him. However, even if it's not what the people thought he was going to be, it's what God had planned all along. He was the strange, different sort of plan. Paul was very clear on this point. 
And today, as we uh, talk to people who are searching and questioning and hurting, we need to be clear that to every question they have, Jesus is the answer to that question. To every ill that they face, Jesus is the solution to that ill. Everything that they see that drives them nuts, Jesus has come to make all things right. And people, just like in Paul's day, just like Habakkuk did, they're, kinda, they're gonna argue with the reality of that clear message. People are gonna say, well, that's hard to believe that this one guy does all that stuff. I don't know if I can buy into that. People might say, it seems too simple. Isn't there a different way where, I, you know, there's like more steps? It's just like believe in this guy and that's it? It's too, too good to be true. Some people might argue that this is an out-of-date religion. Like, I can't believe in this book that's 2,000, 3,000 years old. Can't we have something more updated that's more relevant to my life? People might say, well, I don't need religion. I'm spiritual but not religious. That's like, well, you are religious because you worship yourself as your own God if you're spiritual but not religious. And so people will have these arguments. I don't need Jesus. Maybe there's other methods, other routes to get there. Or they'll say, you know, I'm a really good person. That's probably good enough. And we'll see here in a second, Paul would say, wrong you are. But we have to be clear on these points. If people have legitimate questions, we need to give them clear answers to these questions that they are asking. Paul was clear in Acts 13 to his audience and he was consistently clear in his other writings, especially in what I would imagine is his greatest writing, the book of Romans. This is his whole point. Jesus, it's Jesus, Jesus, Jesus. Everything points to him. Everything's about him. Let's look at a couple of, of references in Romans to illustrate this point uh, on clarity. So this is Romans 8, 3, and 4. Paul says this, The law of Moses was unable to save us because of the weakness of our sinful nature. So God did what the law could not do. He sent his own son in a body like the bodies we sinners have. And in that body, God declared an end to sin's control over us by giving his son as a sacrifice for our sins. He did this so that the just requirement of the law would be fully satisfied for us who no longer follow our sinful nature, but instead follow the spirit. Later on in Acts 10 verse 4, he says this, For Christ is the end of the law for righteousness to everyone who believes. That might seem like a lot there, but all Paul is saying, it's very clearly, Jesus is the only answer. He's, he, that, that's it. So what he says here, good works can't save you. We'll focus on that again in just a second. He, and he says, being good isn't good enough. If you go back up to Romans 3, he says, there is no one who is righteous. Not even one person is righteous on their own apart from Christ. No one is good enough apart from being covered by the grace and mercy of Christ to be presented by God in his righteousness. So it's not, so that's what he's saying here in his sermon and also in all of his writings. He also says here, focuses on that even like religious observance can't save you. Doing good religious deeds aren't enough on their own. In Romans 8, he says Christ did what the law could not do. Romans 10, Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. That's a key word there. So that's what Jesus is saying. I fulfilled the law. It's found in me. The way to God is now not through observing the law, following rules, because I, I, I'm them, and so it's now through me. And it's interesting, too, where Paul and Barnabas are here in Acts 13. They're in the region of Galatia. Um, so they're close. They're just west of where Paul's from uh, here in Galatia. And as you listen to his message here, Jesus is the only way. He's very clear on who Jesus is and what he came to do. That's the whole point of Galatians. When he writes the letter to these churches later on in the book of Galatians, that's the whole point. So if you want to read that this week, that'd be a great thing to read this week is Galatians. He's saying the law can't save you. 
The law can't make you righteous. The law is not enough on its own. It's it's been fulfilled through Jesus, so it's got to come through him. And the example I love in Galatians 3 that Paul gives, he says the law is sort of like a guardian over us. The, the law served a purpose for a certain time until Jesus came, and now everything's through him. So here's the way that I even dumb that down a little bit more. Think of the Old Testament law as like a babysitter. You're at home by yourself, you're a kid, and your siblings aren't home, your parents aren't home, you're by yourself, so they hire this babysitter to come in. So while the babysitter's there, they make the rules, they're the authority, you listen to them, you obey them. But then when your big brother gets home, and he's now in charge, the babysitter is gone, and now he's in charge. He makes the rules, you listen to him, everything goes through him. That's exactly what Paul's saying. The law is that babysitter, and then when big brother comes, Jesus, when he comes, now he is the one we look to. He's the one in which we find everything we need. He's the one through which salvation comes. So it had a place for a time, and it still serves a purpose, but it's now through Christ. One more thing, and then we'll move on to the last thing. As if Paul weren't clear enough, on Jesus, it's Jesus, 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 right? If he weren't clear enough, in his letter to the Ephesians, he makes it incredibly clear. I could put it in two different translations because I love the way they both say this, but it's the same verse. We'll read it a couple times. Ephesians 2, 8, 9. For by grace you've been saved through faith. This is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. And the New Living Translation says, God saved you by his grace when you believed. And you can't take credit for this. It is a gift from God. Salvation is not a reward for the good things we have done, so none of us can boast about it. Paul tries to make it so very clear, because even as you tell people this reality, it's too good to be true. That They think it's got to be more complex than that. It can't be that simple. There's got to be something that you're missing here. And that's, again, to reference Paul again, because, you know, he's worth referencing a few times. In 1 Corinthians chapter 1, he says, I, I know that the, the cross of Christ seems foolish to people. I, I know that. He admits that in 1 Corinthians chapter 1. He says the Jews look for signs, the Greeks look for wisdom, but we preach Christ crucified. That's it. He says to the Jews, Christ is a stumbling block, and the Greeks, it's nonsense, but we preach the simplicity, the clarity of Christ crucified. That's the crux of the message here in this verse in Ephesians 2. The answer to every question that we have is Jesus. The longing of every human heart is found in Jesus. The mending of hearts destroyed by sin is found in Jesus. The way to sum that up is this. Salvation is not a reward we earn through hard work. It's a gift given in grace, received by faith. Do you see the difference there? A reward I have to earn and work for. It's about me doing that. And God's like, no, no, salvation doesn't work that way. I'm giving it to you as a gift. You can't earn a gift, can you? You don't deserve a gift. It's Christmas time. Where's my gift? What do you mean? Well, I I deserve that. (laughs) Why? I'm going to give you this just because I want to give it to you. It's not how that works. You don't earn it. You don't work for it. It's given by grace through faith. That's the clarity about talking about Jesus. Salvation is not a reward we earn by our hard work. That's self-righteousness, and it doesn't, it's not enough. Salvation is a gift given in grace received by faith. Jesus did all the work. Jesus paid the price, so all we have to do is believe and receive. It is that simple. It is that clear. And so as you talk about Jesus, as we connect it to him, just make it clear. Make it simple. It's all about him. It's all through him. It's all because of him. It's all about Jesus. 
Here's the last thing, uh, the, the, the fourth part of this t- in talking about Jesus is then people are left with a choice, the choice. So we see at the end of Acts 13, we'll read a few verses here to see the, the response of the crowd. There's different responses, as you can probably imagine. Acts 13, 42, after Paul's done, as Paul and Barnabas left the synagogue that day, the people begged them to speak about these things again the next week. Many Jews and devout converts to Judaism followed Paul and Barnabas, and the two men urged them to continue to rely on the grace of God. So the following week, almost the entire city turned out to hear them preach the word of the Lord. But when some of the Jews saw the crowds, they were jealous, so they slandered Paul and argued against whatever he said. So after this happens, Paul says, okay, if you guys are going to be antagonistic, if you guys aren't going to receive, if you're going to oppose us, we're just going to leave you guys alone because that's what you want, and we're going to still engage with the people who are open and receptive, the Gentiles. So then after he says that, at the end of the chapter says this, when the Gentiles heard this, they were very glad and thanked the Lord for his message, and all who were chosen for eternal life became believers, so the Lord's message spread throughout that region. Then the Jews stirred up the influential religious women and the leaders of the city, and they incited a mob against Paul and Barnabas and ran them out of town. So they shook the dust from their feet as a sign of rejection and went to the town of Iconium. And the believers were filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So with Paul and Barnabas in their ministry, some received and some rioted. That's the two options that we have at the end of this story. Paul, and and here's here's the cool thing about Paul. Paul seemed to be okay with that. Now, obviously, he wants everyone to receive Christ. He wants everyone to be saved. He, he desires that, but he knows not everyone's probably going to. And so if they're going to fight me, they can just be over there, and I'll, you know, if they're ready to come back, then that's fine. If they just don't, if they want to resist, then I'll just leave them alone like they want, and I'll engage with those that are open and receptive. Paul, Paul makes that very uh, clear statement about this response. He's open to some that are open, and then he leaves those alone who reject. Because in the end, Paul knew, if I can't save myself through works, I can't save anybody else through words. He understood that point. It's a work of the Holy Spirit on their hearts. And it's the same today for us. As you talk about Jesus with people, as you engage in these conversations, and they're clear and they connect to Christ, people then have a choice on what they do with that. Some will receive, and we praise God for that, and we hope that that happens. Some will reject, maybe in sort of a kind way. They'll sort of, no, that's not for me or not right now. And then what we do with that is we just pray for the Holy Spirit to give us another opening at a different time with those people. Some may reject a little more cruelly than that. They might literally get up in your face. It might get physical. It might become like a, a shouting match with those people. And so we want to, again, not engage in that way and just move on and say, okay, clearly you're not receptive you're not ready for this so i'm going to talk to these other people who are it's as simple as that because the reality is it's not my words or your words that save anyone it's the holy spirit that does that the reality of salvation is god sends god sends us and then god saves them okay we're sent god saves that's it that's all there is to it and so as he opens their hearts and minds hopefully to receive the good news it's just that we're doing our part as he does his part we, we engage in these conversations that are clear, that connect to Jesus, and then we just let the Holy Spirit do his work. He's the one that saves. He's the one that does the work, not us. So we want to see lives changed and transformed. I hope that you do. If you're a follower of Jesus, I hope that you want to see people's lives changed and transformed. And so if we do, my hope is that we would have these clear conversations that connect 
people to Jesus so they then have that choice to receive him and never be the same. That's what this is all about as we talk about Jesus. Let's pray. God, as your followers uh, of your son, Jesus, our desire is to see people's lives changed and transformed through the good news about who Jesus is, that they can experience what we've experienced through him, life change, true hope, true peace, lasting joy that we can have through him. And so help us to have these conversations with people in our lives. Help us to look for these opportunities and then give us the courage, the strength to take opportunities as they come, to not kind of bow out, you know, to not wimp out, but just to press through and make that statement or ask that question or engage with that person to have these conversations. And as we have them, God, may we be clear and connected to Jesus not to get sidetracked on secondary things so much, but then to bring it, bring it back, circle back to Jesus every time. However the conversation kind of meanders and goes and however their questions are, help us to just always clearly connect and point people to Jesus. And then ultimately it's in your hands. Then they have the choice on do they receive him? Do they reject him? Are they going to say maybe later? Are they going to say maybe never? That's up to you. And so I pray that, Holy Spirit, you would do the work on hearts and lives as we engage with them, as we do our part. We pray that you'll do your part. We know that you will. So with heads bowed and eyes closed, I, I can't teach something like this and not give an opportunity for someone who's watching or listening or even here today in the room to respond. Because maybe your, first, your next step is not to have that conversation. Maybe your next step is to make that choice first. Because maybe this is the clearest presentation you've ever heard about who Jesus is. Maybe before you were confused or weren't sure, and I'd never heard this before. And so maybe today you're like, okay, I clearly now understand what this Jesus thing is enough to make that choice to serve him. And so I just want to give an opportunity if you're here today and you want to respond and say, yes, will you choose Jesus? The choice is up to you. This is maybe your moment where everything in your life can be changed and transformed as you just open your heart and receive Jesus. It doesn't mean everything in your life is now magically perfect. It doesn't mean you have everything in your life figured out. Uh, it just means that now you're a new person, and that affects everything about how you see the world around you. Before we leave, let's pray this prayer together. I'd like everybody to repeat this simple prayer after me. Dear God, today I admit my need for Jesus. I confess I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. And today I place my trust in Jesus to forgive me of my sin and to connect me to God. I believe Jesus died on the cross for my sins. And I believe he rose from the dead. And today I make him my Savior and Lord. Thank you for forgiveness and new life. In Jesus' name, amen. So as you prayed that today, if you've never prayed that before, maybe it, 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 you sense something different today, you've now put your faith in Jesus. So he's now the center of your life. And I'm so excited for you and ready to see where that journey takes you and what God has in store for you. And we're here with you as a faith community to come around you and help you live that life of faith that God has for you.